This is Creating Utopia, the podcast, ideas to change the world, where we turn conversation into action. Thank you for joining. This episode is titled, Bernie Sanders and the Resistance. It's taken me eight episodes to get here, to the point where I felt it was time to talk about something really important. I couldn't wait anymore. I started this podcast because... I've been waiting for years for those with influence, the people in a position to make a difference, actually make a difference, to do something. The people who are alive that I get my information from, the people who have the wealth or the access to resources and audience, Those who are in a position to change the path, or at least the direction that the society in North America where I live is heading. I've been waiting for them to make a push, and it hasn't happened yet. It was in 2012 that my personal journey started, and I still remember the day I took a whiteboard, put it on my wall, and wrote down a bunch of names of people I was impressed with. People I was following who were socially conscious and really talking about the important issues going on in the world. As the years went on, I started writing my book, Legacy, and the number of names grew. It included popular and famous people, Matt Damon, Jon Stewart, Akon. There were scientists, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Lawrence Krauss, and Sam Harris. There were activists, Malala, Elizabeth May, John Perkins. And then the uber-wealthy, like Elon Musk, Minaj Bhagwara, and Bill Gates. I took in all of the information I possibly could, more than any human being should, if they want to maintain a positive outlook on where we came from and where we're heading. I realized early that there are so many people out there who care and are trying to make things better in their own way. They're organized, effective, and doing great work all around the world. But realistically, it's quite clear that things could be very different and that there's an incentive problem here that's plagued society since currency became valuable. The problem, it seems, is that no one, and I mean no one, seems to care about everything in the same way. They don't care about everything to the same degree. We're all different even those of us who dedicate our lives to making the world better. Let's hold this thought here and return to it in my favorite segment at the end, How to Create Utopia. Bernie Sanders. What can I possibly say that you haven't heard at this point? I can't talk about policies, either their feasibility or infeasibility. I can't talk about how the campaign was historic and that he ignited the youth vote and utilized social networking how he took no campaign contributions from corporations. And I can't talk about how he is to blame for Hillary not winning, how he split the vote on the Democratic side. Because we've heard all of that, and I reminded you of it in 10 seconds if you forgot. I'm going to spend the next 5 to 10 minutes doing the only unique thing I can think of at this point. I'll tell you how Bernie Sanders changed the world. Months before Bernie announced he was running for president. He did an interview on Bill Maher and later on somewhere else, but I'll never forget what he said. He didn't focus on running for president whatsoever. 
All he did was show me, for the first time in my life, that there was a politician that was willing to recognize the reality of things that were happening in the world and the United States as of right now. No embellishment. At this point, it was just statistics pouring out of his consciousness. He seriously discussed wealth inequality since the 2007 recession. He talked about the for-profit prison system, corporate tax loopholes, American voter suppression, how many low-income Americans are denied the right to vote because they don't have ID. He compared the U.S. healthcare and education systems to others around the world. And remember, at this point, he really was just talking statistics. What was amazing to me was that, I'll reiterate, it was the first time I had ever heard a politician talking about real things that were important. It was confusing. And I could talk for hours about how disappointing it is that the political system isn't just organized around making decisions on issues, or at least holding representatives accountable to their decisions on issues. I just want to really stress here that he was playing the role of teacher. It was far-fetched to say at that point he would have any chance of winning. He was really just the old man at the deli, angrily shouting about how things were falling apart and how no one seemed to care. It was at this time that I started following the election very closely, the first election that I've ever followed. It was before anyone knew if Trump would run uh, or who he would run as, and the idealistic thought flashed in my head that we might be seeing a legitimate three-party, if not four-party race in the United States. Just think, it could have been Jeb, Hillary, Bernie, and Trump. Four distinct directions and fundamental ideas. I remember boring my friends and family with how quote-unquote interesting it was that there may be a third party, if not fourth. No one obviously cared. But there could have been a representative for the far right, the Tea Party, pro-business Trump independence, a conservative, family values, Christian traditionalist, Jeb Bush Republican, a center-left, pro-business populist, liberal, in Hillary Clinton's Democrats, and a far-left, social justice, socialist Democrat, anti-imperialist, Bernie Sanders independent. I know it was a crazy thought to entertain, but I wish we could have a fair, open election where every citizen possible can be engaged and represented. There was a one- or two-month period that I look back on and relish where I couldn't say for sure that there would not be four candidates running for President of the United States. Now, at this point, it can be hard to remember anything really anymore. The past two years have been a whirlwind. The news cycles are speeding up. Reporting is more sensational. It's deceiving. A lot of the information we're getting is biased, and some of it isn't even real. But just try to remember what it was like before Trump was president and Bernie was running. This episode is all about echoing an idea that's been shared in different ways throughout almost each episode of my podcast thus far. It's that we need to recognize that disagreeing with someone doesn't mean you're against them. It doesn't make someone your enemy. Bernie Sanders changed the world by showing the people like me someone whose top 
priority in life would be education and peace. The people who just want to exist in the world. He showed us that there's a huge opportunity to show everyone, and I mean everyone, that we're here, right on the precipice of the future. There's radical, positive change, a new way of organizing society. It's coming. Because while I stand by what I said earlier about no one being able to agree about what's important exactly, we all almost agree about almost everything that's fundamental. Now wait. Before you go and say what I just said is contradictory or just doesn't make sense, you're on social media and you see Trump supporters saying all day long things that you couldn't disagree with more. Just wait and let me explain what I mean. Society has progressed to the point where basic needs are able to be met for most, and those that have fallen behind are seeing that there's no need for them to fall behind at all. We all have access to unlimited information now, and the establishment, the institutions that are in charge, really have no way to adjust. I think this election, and maybe the next one, will be the last where division and hatred will be able to be topics at all. Because as I said, we agree about almost everything that's important. Everyone who voted for Bernie, Gary Johnson, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, Jeb Bush, and the others, and those who didn't vote, 95% of these people are your neighbors, your friends, your family, co-workers, the people in line at the grocery store, the people driving in their cars on the roads next to you, the people at concerts and sporting events. We are surrounded by these people all day, every day, and things are working pretty well. We all agree that we want to survive and thrive. We all agree that we want our families to be happy and healthy, that we want the best for our kids. We don't want our kids to get shot at school. We don't want our parents or grandparents unable to cover their medical bills. We want women to be safe in the workplace. We want kids to be educated. We want the streets to be safe. We want everyone to have an ability to contribute in society. And we want everyone to get rewarded fairly for their contributions. Here we are in 2018, arguing every single day with everyone because we don't agree on the details at all. And we never will. And that's a good thing. That's how things progress. But I'll use a simple analogy here, in that it's like the entire country is sitting down for dinner, arguing about what they want on their pizza. No one really wants the exact same thing down to every detail. The crust, the sauce, the toppings, gluten-free, vegetarian, etc., etc. At the end of the day, those who are willing to compromise in some ways can't in others because there will always be someone with an allergy. There's 355 million people, and there's only one pizza here, divided into about 50 slices. We're arguing 
But what's much worse is that we're looking at each other like someone might be crazy if they want mushrooms and not green peppers. Or they're terrible people because they want barbecue sauce and not tomato sauce. But just think, every single person sitting there right now, they just forgot that we already agreed on pizza. <laughs> the hard decision, the important one, has already been made. Americans, allies and friends, companions. One success is tied together with the success of everyone else. We all agreed on basic principles about what it means to live a good life. We're just bogged down right now in figuring out which details need to be adjusted in which way. The beauty of Bernie Sanders in my eyes is that he showed me that even the people I agree with on about 90 or 95% of the issues will still find a reason to look at me as another. If you've been on my Twitter page, you'll see that I'm a young, Caucasian, cis, if I were pressed to identify, male. To some, I'm viewed as an other based on my gender, others on my sexuality, others on my race. This happens to everyone, every day. And I recognize that being Caucasian and male, I happen to be in the category of human who is discriminated against the least in the West. But what I can learn here, it's that no matter how hard I might try right now, there's always going to be someone who disagrees with me. And that's absolutely fine. It's a liberating recognition. Because if everyone is in a way against you, by definition, everyone is with you. When you see this, you can see that even if you're like me, you support universal health care or common sense background checks for firearm possession, I can see that Trump voters, even though they might disagree, are on my side no matter what. They don't want me to die. They would sit with me and have dinner and talk. We could watch a sports game and we could argue and no one's going to hurt each other. Just maybe some hurt feelings. No matter what someone might say when you meet them face to face and share with them that you want the best for them and their family and you're willing to work toward a future where everyone can coexist with freedom and peace, they will respect you and work with you. They will be your ally. This brings me to the blue wave and the resistance. I'm on board if we're resisting bad ideas. If we're resisting the status quo that has truly oppressed us all, I uh, hashtag resist. But I personally can't resist people. I think I need to reach out to people and show them respect as a human no matter what. No matter who someone voted for, do you really want that person's children to be worse off than your own? Could you ever wish ill on someone because they haven't read the same books, had the same experiences, visited the same places, met the same people, or, or watched the same TV shows? We're all a product of what we've absorbed. And I found, as someone who every single person can find a reason to agree with and disagree with, that at least I respect every person I've ever spoken to. 
whether I agreed or disagreed, loved what they were saying, or found it repugnant. I didn't live the same life that person did. And I know that if I had the time, that person will agree with me that they don't want anyone else's children to suffer for any reason. We all want pizza. We don't need to hate each other if we can't agree on the toppings. Now, just to tie everything up here, I'll end this podcast off where I started it. If you remember, I was talking about my heroes, as it were, the people I've been inspired by for the past half decade to reform my own life and spend time trying to make the world a better place. I mentioned I was frustrated because everyone who wants the world to be better, not even they can agree on how to do it or the best way to do it because something is just off. Well, this is what the final segment is going to be about. This is my idea for this week about how to create utopia. I think this one is simple, intuitive, and doesn't take much effort. But it's something that it's kind of complex and deep because it touches on individuality, purpose, and things that are central to the human experience. What I think could be beneficial, and although seems counterproductive at first, is for everyone to take a big step back from the cause or passion or issue that is driving us the strongest. Take a step back, take a breath, and just try to see if the actions that you're taking or that the group you've joined and are working with is causing people who already agree with you to come on board or if you're changing anyone's mind. Even more, pay attention to the reaction from those that disagree with you. Because I have a suspicion that the things we're fighting hardest for are alienating us from those that could be allies in so many ways. I'll end off things with a quick example on a topic that is very important and sensitive right now and has been for longer than I've been alive. This is a topic I'll make an entire episode about one day. The Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, gun ownership, or gun control. If we consider this issue like we could with all to be on a spectrum, we can find both ends within a second. One side, let's call them the right end of the spectrum, would want no gun control or regulation whatsoever. The opposite, or left side, would say, Let's have no guns whatsoever. No guns at all. Not many people fall into either category, but I'll illustrate this point with my personal position in a moment. There are people who want no guns. And conversely, there are people who think every human in the United States has the right to own a tank or a missile. But not very many of these people exist. The problem here, and with basically every issue we're getting bogged down on, is that we're picking sides based on this arbitrary extreme, not really understanding or caring what the other quote-unquote side wants or thinks. We've drawn lines in the sand, and if you're not with us, you're against us. But this just simply can't be true. 
Because if that's the case, where do I fall? Whose side am I on? I think that no one should need a gun. I don't think it's a problem if responsible people who want to shoot at targets or if police officers need guns or want guns. I really don't want anyone with a mental illness or criminal history or addiction to substances having access to really powerful automatic machine guns. I think that the United States would benefit from preventing some high-risk individuals from having access to firearms, but I would never limit everyone. If you're anti-gun, you might not want to associate with me because I think it's unreasonable to ask people to give up something they clearly love and connect to their freedom as a person. If you're pro-gun, you might not want to associate with me either because you think if we start legislating and restricting some guns, eventually the government might take them all. So who associates with me then? This is why we can't get anything done. If anything I said was unreasonable in that short personal description, please send me a message or comment on Twitter with why. I want to learn. If you take one sentence and only hear that, you'll think I'm pro-gun. If you take a different sentence, you'll think I'm anti-gun. The reality is that most of us are neither pro or anti, but I would guess that it's 80% of us that just crave common sense. If I could sit down with the anti-gun person who doesn't like me because I support a target shooter having a gun, I would say that I don't want anyone to have guns. I agree with you, but I don't want to tell anyone what to do either. And if they're safe with it, then we have to let people be. The same way I want people to let a transgender person be free when they want to use whatever washroom they feel safe in. I would sit with the pro-gun person who doesn't like me because I support restricting access to assault rifles to certain people, and I would say that I know neither of us want children to get shot at schools or malls or movie theaters. I think we can agree that criminals from jail should have an extra preventative measure that might stop them from getting easy access to deadly weapons. I realize it's about precedent, and you don't want to give an inch. But I promise, the moment the government decides they're going to take away everyone's guns, I would be marching with you. I wouldn't have a gun with me, but I would march to protect your freedom. I've read 1984. This, I think, is the position that most of us are in. We have nuanced ideas about most topics, and we find ourselves stuck on sides, dwindling down the number of people who are allies, and missing out on connecting and learning with so many in so many ways. Someone who wants to protect the environment and supports gender equality is not an enemy if their ideas about abortion don't also align with pro-choice. Someone who wants to end child slavery and only eats organic isn't an enemy because they aren't also in support of affirmative action. A Trump supporter, if you listen to them, they want their families to be safe. They want an opportunity in the country to succeed. We create utopia by taking a step back 
taking a breath and realizing that we're all in this together. The moment we all recognize that we need each other, the moment we recognize we'll be better off working together is the moment we've all been waiting for. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Creating Utopia, the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at creating underscore utopia, and make sure to ask questions, comment. I'll make every effort to reply to them all. Stay tuned for the next podcast, the last in the introductory chapter to Creating Utopia. It will be on Donald Trump. <laughs>